Well, good morning, church. My name is Jacob, service pastor here. So glad that you could join us. Yes, kids, you can head back. I actually get to be with Mosaic Kids today, so I'll be back there in a minute. Um, but yeah, so glad that you could be here to worship with us this morning. Um, we as a church exist to multiply diverse disciples and churches who are unified by the gospel of Jesus. That's the mission that God has given us. That's what we're running after um, together. And this morning, we have a fun opportunity that uh, Tanner Devereaux, he and his wife Naomi are, are working towards planting a new church here in our city called Imago Dei. That's Latin, right? For the image of God. Um, so we are, are so excited for that. And Tanner and Naomi have are currently a part of our church, and we're getting to work with them to, to help them develop and, and grow um, and prepare to plant that new church. And so our goal for Tanner and Naomi is that they're not here forever. And the reason that that's our goal is not because we don't like them. It's because we believe that the mission of God advances as we plant more churches to reach more people. So this morning, Tanner gets to bring the word. You can come on up. Um, y si quieres escuchar el sermón en español, tenemos los radios y los audífonos que están en la mesa de conexión. También tenemos este código de, de Zoom y pueden escuchar de esa manera. And um, yeah, let me pray for you. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And we thank you that your word is alive and, and active and that you speak to us through it. And um, God, we just ask you to speak to us this morning. God, speak through Tanner. And I pray that, that all of our hearts will be ready to receive your word as your word this morning. I pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Am I on? Yeah, we're good to go. Super loud. It's pretty hot, isn't it? All right, yeah. So uh, my name's Tanner. <clears throat> I'm from Missouri, so I'm going to try not to say things that don't translate. I've, I've, never, I've never preached with a translator before, so... Things that probably don't translate is like, uh, I'm nervous as a long-tailed cat in a rocking chair factory. You probably can't say that. That probably don't translate very well, does it? But Drew said that he promises nobody's going to throw tomatoes or eggs or anything like that at me. So that's, I'm pretty excited for that. So. Anybody got my keys? Go start the truck and make sure it's hot and ready for me because we might have to make a quick getaway. But Anyways, the title of today's message is uh, The Ministry of the Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you guys to open up to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, we're going to be in verses 15 through 31. We have a lot of ground to cover. I got like 400 pages of notes, so we're going to be here at least until after one. I hope you guys don't have any lunch plans. So, <clears throat> As we consider some of the greatest people in history, Jesus is number one at the top of that list, right? I mean, like, people have done some amazing things that have defied physics, they've defied science, they've defied other odds. You know, some of those things you might think of as uh, the Wright brothers, you know, flying an airplane for the first time. Neil Armstrong landing on the moon. So many other people doing great and miraculous things. However, none of them top the great works that Jesus has done. Amen? Amen. Alam spoke to us last week from John chapter 14, and he showed us from the scriptures that we have a home in heaven that Jesus never stops seeking us, and that Jesus is the only way. And that in itself is, is probably one of the most powerful verses in the Bible, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody can come to the Father except through him. Amen? But one of the verses that I find most challenging is actually in John 14, 12, when he says, 
Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. And you say, I thought you were preaching in verses 15 through 31. Why did you mention that verse? Because it's going to propel us through the rest of, of this chapter. We know that Jesus is the greatest person in history, that no one has ever outdone him in works. So how is it that Jesus tells us that we will do greater works than him if we believe in him? I mean, none of us are walking on water here, right? None of us are multiplying a, f a few loaves and a fish into five to feed 5,000. None of us are raising anybody from the dead. So what works are Jesus talking about? One theologian writes that the works of the church are greater than the works of Jesus because the church is empowered by the Holy Spirit to perform works that go far beyond the local community of Jerusalem or Judea. The works that we do are not greater in power, but in length. We will do greater works than Jesus by carrying on the message of the gospel to the ends of the earth throughout the centuries. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus continues his work from heaven. And I want to bring before us three points this morning that demonstrate who the Holy Spirit is and what he does. And if I had to sum the sermon up in a sentence, it would say this. The ministry of the Holy Spirit and the life of the believer comforts us and allows us to do the works that Jesus said we would do. The ministry of the Holy Spirit and the life of the believer comforts us and allows us to do the works that Jesus said we would do. Let me pray real quick. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for your grace and for your mercy and what a reminder I need this morning that the Holy Spirit is our helper. What a reminder that I need, that I need this morning that, um, that we need your spirit so desperately bad. So God, we pray that you would remove some nervousness this morning, but ultimately, Lord, we pray that you would be glorified and that you would open the hearts of the hearers this morning, open their ears, open their eyes to see, and may we all be enlightened through your word. It's in Jesus' name, amen. So our first point. The Holy Spirit is our helper, found in 15 and 16, verses 15 and 16. So Jesus continues his farewell discourse here in John 14, 15 by saying what seems to be a pretty hard statement. In fact, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And if any of us are honest with ourselves here, we begin to feel conviction or possibly even some shame at the thought of all the times that we've broken the commandments of God, right? We cannot keep them perfectly. But here's the thing, we cannot stop reading that verse right there. We can't just pull that verse out and read that verse alone and say, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If we stop reading there, we feel the heavy weight of inability and guilt, and this could leave, leave us uh, living legalistically and religiously. Brothers and sisters, it's when we begin to read John 14 and the Bible in its entirety that we see that this verse is anything other but heavy. In fact, Jesus is going to the cross in a matter of hours. He'll be betrayed, he'll be whipped, he'll be beaten, tortured, he'll be nailed to the cross. And with all of that in mind, what does Jesus spend his time doing? We find Jesus comforting his disciples in his last days here on earth, amen? We find Jesus more worried about everyone else than he is with his own well-being. In fact, he says, don't let your heart be troubled twice in this chapter. And here in verse 16, we hear the sweet words of Jesus promising the Holy Spirit. Verse 16, 
I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. Verse 17. That is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. I worked doing minor construction to supplement our income uh, while we were planning our church Amago Day, which is just a few miles on down the road. Uh, I, work, uh, I work alone almost every single job, and, and I can't tell you how overwhelming it can be showing up to the job site, seeing all that I have to do, and knowing that I'm all by myself, seeing that it all towers over me. You know, I feel helpless, right? And when we began some of the work here at Mosaic, I couldn't help but feel overwhelmed thinking about every single carpet square that had to be laid in this big old sanctuary. And, and, but, but I was blessed. Like, I had helpers that made it possible to, to, to finish the task here at the church. You know, I had Aaron and I had Jacob and I even had Abigail one time when she was pregnant. She was sitting right here pulling staples from the floor, you know. And, and my wife and we had Mario, uh, Doug, so many other people came to help, and I'm sorry if I missed anybody, but forgive me. Uh, so many other people came to help and, and clean up and set up the stage after we were finished. And without adequate help, I would have been left alone to do all of the work, right? I would have only ended up tired, irritable, making mistakes. I'd fail in many ways. And the same thing is true here for the disciples. They need a helper, they have a lot of work to do. They have a great commission to fulfill. They have commandments to keep. Yet the Bible says that God will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. The, the disciples couldn't hardly make it past Jesus' arrest. And Jesus knows that his disciples are incapable of keeping his commandments all on their own. They need a helper. So Jesus offers his disciples comfort by telling them that the Father will send another helper. And although the helper wouldn't come immediately, Jesus gives comfort to his disciples through this promise. And oh, how sweet are the promises of Jesus, amen. We know that Jesus' words will not fail, for he always asks in accordance to the will of God, for he is God, amen. This helper that Jesus promises has a name, and he is the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, I'm going to talk a little bit more about the Trinity in my next point. But for now, what's important is that Jesus said the Father would send the Holy Spirit, and he did. On the day of Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, after Jesus is crucified, after Jesus is buried, and after Jesus rises again, teaches 40 days, and ascends to the right hand of the Father, the promise of the Holy Spirit as the helper is fulfilled. And to give you an idea of how the Holy Spirit is a helper in the life of the believer, I want to point out to you, uh, I want to point you to one of the disciples in this group that Jesus is having a conversation with. Who am I talking about? I'm talking about Peter, right? In Acts chapter 2, verse 14. But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. Peter spends the next 21 verses of Acts chapter 2 giving one of the most expositional and powerful sermons ever preached. A sermon that God used to bring over 3,000 people to salvation that day. This is the same Peter who always put his foot in his mouth. And this is the same Peter who denied Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. This man, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered by the helper, stood up and he preached. And as he stood up, and it doesn't say this in the Bible, but as he stood up, I could just see the denial 
the shame, all of his inability of the old Peter just fall away as he stands up and preaches. So how does the Holy Spirit help the believer? He takes empty vessels and he fills them. He takes unworthy individuals and he makes them worthy, right? He takes dead people and he brings them to life. He enables the believer to keep the commands of Jesus and we know that the commandments of Jesus are not burdensome, but that we keep them because we love him. And all the while, the Holy Spirit is working inside of us and he's helping us and the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And this leads us to our next point, point number two. The Holy Spirit makes us children of God. Verse 17. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. And that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Jesus knew the anticipation that lingered around the disciples that lingered around the disciples as he prepared them for his departure. The sting of loneliness that disciples would feel after he left would no doubt be troubling. In some ways they might even feel like that of a child who lost their parents and was left alone. So Jesus speaks these words one to comfort them and two to demonstrate the exclusivity of the Holy Spirit dwelling in believers only. Because the Holy Spirit can neither be our helper nor our teacher unless first we've been adopted into the family of God. Remember that I said that we would talk about the Trinity. Well, here we are. And this text would be left undone if we didn't. Uh, I mean, the talk of the Trinity is, is all throughout this section of Scripture here in verses 15 through 31. And I'm not going to go too deep into this doctrine, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. I'm not going to use terrible illustrations that's going to lead us into heresy. But what I will say is God is, is triune in nature. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are in perfect unity. God is three and one. Each member of the Trinity was there before creation, and each member of the Trinity will be there in glorification. But there's something there in the middle, right? Salvation or justification. Each member of the Trinity plays a vital role in the salvation of sinners. Our salvation was initiated by the Father, it was purchased by the Son, and it was wrought out by the Spirit. God the Father saw us as orphans, hurting and broken and alone in sin, and instead of turning his back on us, he chose us. And before the foundations of the world, in love, he formed a divine plan to send his son, Jesus Christ, to save all those who would believe. And Jesus came into this world to lay his life down for his sheep, to take on the full wrath of God and to purchase our redemption. He was rejected and beaten and crushed and he was crucified. But let us not forget that Jesus Christ triumphed over sin, death, and the grave. Amen. And by his stripes we are healed and he is able to save those that the Father has given me. I have lost none. Before Jesus departed, he promised his disciples and us indirectly not to leave us as orphans. He promised to send the Holy Spirit. 
This is the spirit of truth that brought conviction to our hearts that told us we were sinners. This is the spirit of God that at the moment we repented and believed removed our dead heart of stone and placed in us a heart of flesh that beats to the rhythm of his will. This is the Holy Spirit sent in Jesus' name that comes to live inside of us the moment we believe, and it's just like that in an instant. You don't receive it when you're baptized. It's as soon as you repent and believe. This is God the Spirit who seals us and keeps us forever. The Father initiated, the Son purchased, and the Spirit seals forever. There's no taking it back. For all of us who have experienced this love from God, we know that we are saved and we will one day spend eternity in heaven with God where all things are made new and there's no more sin and there's no more brokenness. What a day that will be, amen? But if you're looking back at your life right now and you say, none of what you have said has ever happened to me. I've never received the Holy Spirit. I've never known this love that God has for me and I've never repented and believed in Jesus. And if that's you, I say with sadness in my heart that you are not a child of God. And I beg you this morning to please turn from your sins and trust that Jesus is Lord and that he has paid your debt. Know that you don't have to stay an orphan forever. There's a father who loves you enough that he gave his only son to die for you. There is good news and come and find rest in Jesus Christ, amen? As Christians, this love that we, have, uh, that we have experienced from Jesus leads us into love and obedience to God and the people around us. Our love and our obedience proves, as verse 24 says, that God has come to abode with us or he's come to live with us. We are comforted here by the Trinity because we know that we have been made children of God through the Holy Spirit who lives in our hearts. On to our third and our final point. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. Verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Jesus has spoken everything that he has said, both in his discourse uh, here in, in, in 14 and throughout his earthly ministry. Over three years he spent with his disciples and they spent just about every waking moment together. Think of all the conversations that they had. I mean, that aren't in the scripture. Recount all the teachings and the miracles that we see in the gospels alone. Like, it's a huge amount and that's not even half of them. In fact, John writes at the end of his gospel that if there were, there were many other things that Jesus did and if they were written in detail, not even the world could contain all the books that would be written. Remembering everything that Jesus taught and did accurately would be impossible for the disciples without the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit bringing to mind, sorry, without the Holy Spirit bringing to remembrance everything that Jesus said, the disciples could have never carried on with their ministry. However, the disciples had a church to build. The disciples had a church to instruct. They needed the Holy Spirit as a teacher. And as we know, God would use some of these disciples as well as Paul and other apostles to record the New Testament, right? And we can trust their writings because we know that the Spirit was teaching them and bringing to remembrance what Jesus spoke. 
And there's no outside sources in the Bible. All instructions and word come directly from the mouth of Jesus as the Spirit led these men to record the New Testament. The disciples were taught by the Holy Spirit the things that Jesus was told from the Father And these things the disciples not only wrote down, but they passed on to the church that began to spread all across the world. Today we receive instruction straight from the source. All scripture is breathed out by God. All writers wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It is his breath that we read the very words of God. Amen. And I want to remind you of this, that the Holy Spirit is not some distant God. The same Holy Spirit that taught these disciples is the same Holy Spirit alive inside of every believer today. So if you are saved, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, the same Holy Spirit that taught these disciples and these apostles. And he works in us to teach us what we read. He works in us to bring to remembrance what we have read at just the right time said that backwards. He works in us to teach us what we read. I'm from Missouri. I can't read. So he works in us to bring to remembrance what we read at just the right time. So like when you're having a, uh, an evangelistic conversation with somebody and you read something that morning and you're like, man, this is going to fit perfect. Or when you need to encourage a brother or a sister and you're like, man, I read something this morning. The Holy Spirit brings that to your mind and helps you to encourage and helps you to witness and do those things. He works in us to remove the veil of confusion. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. And the passage goes on to say that Jesus is going to the Father, for the Father is greater than him. Now this, you would think, man, you just contradicted everything you said about the Trinity. But this in no way implies that there's a hierarchy of greatness in the Trinity. But rather, what this speaks to is the role of the suffering servant that Jesus is serving in currently. I want you to listen up as I close. Everybody lean in and press into what I'm about to say. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, stepped down off of his throne on high, taking on the likeness of men, putting on flesh. He was born of a virgin. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, lived his life perfectly in obedience to the Father, never sinning one time. Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God, suffered at the hands of sinners, betrayed with a kiss from a friend apprehended like some criminal, stood to face trial against allegations from his very own people, exchanged for a criminal. His kingship was mocked as they shoved a crown of thorns on his head. They beat his body. They laid upon his back the very instrument of death that would kill him on top of that hill of Golgotha. Jesus, in the sense of serving God, and suffering for us says that the Father is greater than him. He's going from humiliation to exaltation because he will not remain dead, amen, but be resurrected and ascend to the right hand of the Father. He did all of this to give us peace, not some peace that the world gives, like peace in your 401k, not peace of mind uh, with the security system, I got ADT in my house the other day and uh, it doesn't even work that great. I don't have that great a peace of mind. It works for like four hours and shuts off in the middle of the night. I don't know why that came out, but don't come to my house at like 4 a.m. because my alarm system is going to be off. You could break right in. So, Sorry, Lord. No, the, the peace that Jesus is talking about here is supernatural. It's peace with the Father. 
Romans 5, 1 says that since we have been justified by faith, we have what? Peace with the Father through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the peace that Jesus leaves. Faith in the gospel message that I just proclaimed to you just a moment ago is how we are made right with God. Through faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we experience peace with the Father. We're no longer enemies, but we're friends, right? We're no longer lost, but we're found. We're no longer blind, but now we can see. It's through faith in Christ that we receive peace with God. And this peace is not earthly, but it's rooted in eternity. And as Alam spoke last week, Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. He said, in my house, in my father's house, are many what? Many mansions, many rooms. We know that this is not that all God wrote. Jesus made a home for us. And no matter what we face here on earth, we can have peace in knowing that God loves us because we love his son. We can find comfort in the Holy Spirit as our helper, our preserver, our teacher, and our seal of promise. And I invite us all this morning to reflect on what we've uh, heard from the Lord. Don't let it go in one ear and out the other, guys. Let's do something with our faith. Let's not be the church who just hears the word and doesn't do anything about it. I have to admit that, that I don't share my faith as often as I should. And for that, Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me. The times that I do pray that God would send somebody that, for me to evangelize to, I often mess it up. But it's okay. Let's be intentional today, church. Let's be passionate about what Jesus was passionate about right before he went to the cross. Let's comfort those who have no hope. The world is full of people without hope all throughout this neighborhood, all throughout this city. We must share the gospel. We must share the gospel that God sent his perfect son to die on the cross for our sins, that he rose again and that he's coming back to make all things new. Let us share with those who are perishing that if they just repent and believe, they will be saved. Let us be passionate about, what, about the people that Jesus is concerned about. Let's offer a broken and dying world the promise of the Holy Spirit and let's invite them into our home in heaven. Just one person this week, I challenge you guys, just one person this week, challenge all of us to share the gospel with. Just one person that Jesus came, born of a virgin, lived a perfect sinless life, that he died at the hands of criminals, he was nailed to the cross, that he was buried in a borrowed tomb, that he rose again after three days, he taught for 40 days, ascended to the right hand of the Father, and that he's coming back. And if you would believe, you could be saved. Remember, the Holy Spirit comforts us as believers and makes us able to do the works that Jesus said we would do. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we're so grateful for your mercy. We're so grateful, God, that you would gather us here as your people in this local building or in this building as a local church, God. We pray, God, that we would glorify you through all of our actions, through all of our deeds this week, through everything that we say, everything that we do. Would you place one person in front of each and every one of us this week that we could share the gospel with? And God, I pray that if there's anybody in this room today that does not know you, you would not let them walk out of these doors without making that right. It's in Jesus' name.